To those of you that braved the elements, it is good to see you here today. Our Baptist friends always remind me that we're so afraid of water, we Methodists, that a little bit of rain keeps us away, you know. But anyway, uh, it's good to, see, good to see that you're not afraid and that you're here. And if you are uh, a visitor with us today, we're delighted to have you here and hope that you'll be back to worship uh, with us again on many future occasions. This afternoon at 4.30, the Council on Ministries will be meeting, and we remind folks of that. The adult Bible studies and the children's choirs and educational activities all begin tonight at 6. We remind you all of that. Also, um, the Greer Heritage Museum has now been relocated to its new home in the old uh, police building. And, you know, CARM has had so much to do with this across the years, CARM and Earl both. Uh, the museum will be open today until about 4.30. Um, so we invite you to go by there to see its new location as they're uh, experiencing their open house now. And we celebrate the gift of uh, the Heritage Museum that the Hudson's have worked so hard on across these years. And uh, also Norman West is on that board, so we're, has been working on that as well. Uh, youth will be meeting tonight as usual. Uh, 6.30 for supper and their program, so we invite our youth to be present for that. This morning, uh, if during the sermon there's lightning in the area, we will all leave to go to the Clemson Stadium <laughs> where they know how to handle situations like that. I won't know what to do. But uh, some of y'all, were y'all there for the big rain delay game yesterday? I, I hear it was uh, a lengthy procedure. But good to see that you're here this day. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Declaration of Faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let's affirm our faith using this historic confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Can you please? This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Katie Jeter for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. What are these? Y'all know what these are? Rings. What kind of rings are they? Have you ever seen other adults wear rings? Maybe your mom and dad that look kind of like this? Marriage rings, right. Wedding rings. Why do we wear these? You think we wear them because they mean something? Do they represent something? It does. It means that I'm married. Um, but they kind of symbolize something. What, what shape is this? A circle. And what, what is it about a circle that might be neat for marriage? What could this represent? Do you see where it starts? Where does the circle start? I don't, I don't see where it starts. What about where it ends? you see where it ends? No. Well, that's the cool thing about this ring and why we wear them, because you can't see where it starts and you can't see where it ends. And that's what love and marriage represents, right? It lasts forever. And God's love for us is the same way. When did God's love for us start? Do you know when it began? When's it going to end? It's not going to end, right? Just like a circle, just like wedding rings, you don't know where it ends because it's not going to end. And you don't know where it began. It just keeps going on and on, right? Well, there's some words in the Bible, in Romans, that tell us about God's love for us. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or danger? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do all those big words mean? That none of those bad things are going to separate us from God's love. It's never ending and it has no bounds. Jesus has the strongest love in the world. And as much as your parents love you or as much as husband and wife love each other, God loves us even more than that. Is that cool? Okay, 
Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me with the strongest love there is. Amen. Testament reading of Psalm 54. Hear now the word of the Lord. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. On no account let them escape. Well, if you turn two pages, you do that. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me, and your faithfulness destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all of my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Here ends the lesson. We are privileged this morning to have a moment of, of a, a sacramental moment as we celebrate the baptism uh, of one of our uh, new families to our community. Alan, Wendy, Jay, and Ellie Smith um, come now to unite with our church and also to come through baptism. Invite the family, them all, to come at this point, this time. Now, uh, this lovely young fella and his sister are twins, if I remember correctly. Is that right? And uh, uh, the Smiths have been coming primarily to the contemporary service, but uh, wanted to be baptized in the sanctuary here today, and so we celebrate that. And all four of them are, are to be baptized, which is a high and wonderful moment for me to participate with, with them. I'm also trying to remember Alan, you work with Bilo in the health and beauty area, supplying all those things that make us healthy and beautiful. That's what I thought. Okay, okay. See, the memory every now and then still works. It's amazing when that happens. Um, the service begins on page 33. If you would like to follow along. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We're incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through confirmation and through the, re the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. 
These are some questions that are asked of all people that come to be baptized. And uh, the simple response is, I do. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? If so, will you say, I do? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, will you say, I do? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Jesus has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, will you say, I do? And to you parents, will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves and profess their faith openly and to lead a Christian life? If so, will you say, I will? According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? If so, will you say, I will? Could I get you all to kneel here? That would be good. into this family. We pray your blessings upon them that as they continue to grow in faith, they might also grow in their understanding of the grace that you offer to them through your son Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, calls us all to grow in the faith until we become examples of to others of your goodness to this world. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Could I get you to stand? Baptism incorporates you into the universal church of Christ. Um, and now we want to welcome you into the Methodist church. So there's just one more question, and that is, as members of Christ's universal church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministry? If so, will you say, I will. To you in the congregation. Will you faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service, and join these folks in saying, I will? I commend these persons to you for your love and care. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love as members together with you in the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church 
by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you may live in grace and peace. Amen. I think it takes a fair amount of courage to stand up in front of a group of people like that and I'm always mindful of that and appreciative of those who come to join us who are willing to, to do that. Um, now our epistle lesson I'm going to read is from Mark's, I mean from uh, James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 and then 7 and 8. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, and you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. We are thankful, Lord, that you have so designed life that there are students and there are teachers, even in our homes. We have parents who mentor younger ones. And that is true in other parts of uh, your creation as well, as the parents of various creatures nurture their young. And we're grateful for this teacher student relationship that comes to us in a variety of ways. We're thankful to remember that Jesus was called teacher, as well as words like master in Christ, but he was the rabbi, the teacher, and he remains our teacher. And we look to you, Lord, to speak to us through the words of Jesus, that we might Learn the lessons that Jesus teaches to disciples of all eras and ages that you consider servanthood the highest calling, that you consider success not achieving a great deal of money and fame in life, but rather being willing to take up a cross and serve our neighbors and suffer along with the suffering. And we are thankful for the example of Jesus who his whole life carried a cross of concern for others and in the closing hours of his life literally carried a cross to a hill and died upon that cross. A real death, but in also a lovely, wonderful way, a symbol of all of Jesus' life. Teach us, Lord, the beauty of that lesson, that as we die to ourselves and our ways and our desires, we can be resurrected to new life. We can be raised to life in the image of Christ and in the service of God Almighty, that we might go into the world and make a difference in the lives of others. We know that seasons come and go and years pass, but that teaching, that message from Jesus, that we are to go into our world in service and love, that we are to be those who are willing to be the least and not strive to be the greatest, that that is a lesson we always need to hear and put into practice. We're thankful, Lord, that you teach us with your patience and your kindness. You know our limitations and the difficulty we have in learning things. So thank you for giving us numerous opportunities to grow. Lord, we are mindful this day that there are many in your world who need us this day. There are those in this church who need us this day. And we pray that you might use us to spread your love and care and cheer to others. We pray for the sick that they might be healed. We pray for the lonely that they might be comforted. We pray for the, for the lost that 
you might find them and that they might find in you all that they've been looking for in life. These are our prayers through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
think y'all knew that one pretty well. Y'all sang out on that one. Uh, I bring you greetings from one of our uh, church families. Uh, They were here earlier, but had to get back to school. Uh, Russ and Christy McDonald were here uh, back from Durham today. Uh, Russ didn't grow up in this church, and so I'm afraid if we're not careful, we might forget our responsibility as a family to be remembering them in our prayers. Those who grew up here and have gone off to college, we think about them and remember them in our prayers. But Russ and Christy came to us in the last year and felt a call to ministry and have gone to Duke uh, where he is a first year student in the uh, seminary there, the Divinity School. So uh, it was good to see them. They look like they are surviving pretty well. Um, a lot of late nights up studying when you're in seminary. I know that from uh, my memory and experience. But uh, they asked to be remembered to you and wanted to pass that on to you. I am hopeful that this week will be a week that little Maggie Warner will get to come home from the hospital. She's been there for almost a month um, or maybe even over a month now, uh, having recovered from some infections and some having to have have some surgeries. She is a remarkable little child when she's feeling well. Uh, I went in there yesterday to see her and I said, uh, what you been eating? And she said, not much today. And I said, well, the next time I come, I'll have to, I found out she loves Krispy Kreme. I have to bring you another donut. She says, you didn't bring one today? (laughs) And her daddy laughed and says, it, it seems that you expect him to bring one every time he comes. And I said, well, I'll bring one next time I come. She says, it better be tomorrow. (laughs) So uh, I guess I need to get back up there later on today. But a precious child, and we are happy that she is uh, doing better and uh, will soon be able to be back home. Our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching the disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Here ends the lesson. I had a seventh grade teacher who had a pet expression, and it was, a word to the wise is sufficient. And that's the way she'd do her hand when she said it. Whenever she announced a test or made an assignment that she wanted us to be sure we paid attention to, she would look at us and repeat her mantra, a word to the wise is sufficient. We knew to underline what she'd just told us and put a star by it 
knowing that we'd better play, pay very close attention to that. Well, Jesus had a similar pet phrase that he liked to repeat, meaning pay attention. His pet phrase was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That was Jesus' way of saying, did you hear me? Are you listening? Did you pay attention to what I just said? You better underline it. There are some predictable ingredients in any student-teacher relationship, and that's what Jesus and the disciples were primarily teacher and student. One is that the teachers speak, but students don't listen. Now, some of you are teachers, and you know that to be true. Some of you are parents, and you've got little students uh, in your home, and you know that to be true. Teachers speak, but students don't listen. Another is that students don't understand when they do listen, but often they're too timid to ask the teacher for clarification. A third element of the teacher-student relationship is that often, rather than concentrating on what the teacher is saying, the students are off on a world of their own, daydreaming about who might win the next ball game or which of them is the greatest. Good teachers are aware of these distractions and build responses to them into their lessons plan, lesson plans. As someone has said that a good teacher knows that they're going to first tell them what they're going to tell them, and then they tell them, and then they tell them what they just told them, or something like that. This was the second time that Jesus had told them about his soon coming death. The first time was down in Caesarea Philippi when the teacher had asked the students, who do people say that I am? And Peter had passed the test with flying colors when he said, you're the Christ. Jesus then began to teach them that he would soon die and then be raised to life on the third day. He began to teach them, we're told. It was a lesson that had to be repeated many times because they didn't listen and they didn't understand and their minds kept wandering. Sometimes we just don't listen, do we? God tells us plainly what to expect if we do this or don't do that, that there is a way that we are to live which is in love toward our neighbors that will result in peace, and plenty for all of us, but we don't listen. Now, when I was a child and regularly disobeyed my parents or my teachers, they rarely would ask me why I disobeyed. Their question for me usually was, were you listening? Did you hear what I said? Their assumption always was that if I really had heard, if I'd really listened, then I would do what I was supposed to do. Why is it that we aren't listening? Sometimes it's because what we are hearing our teachers say goes against what we expected to hear them say. During a children's sermon one time, a pastor was doing the children's sermon and he asked the children, what do you call that creature that lives up in the treetops that jumps from limb to limb and eats acorns and other nuts. The children were very silent for a long time. 
Finally, one brave little girl spoke up and said, Preacher, I know that the answer to all of your questions is always God, but it sure sounds like you're talking about a squirrel. Sometimes we think we know the answer and so we don't hear. The disciples knew all the answers. Soon they would go with Jesus to march down to Jerusalem and there he would be pronounced and crowned king of Israel. Armed with God's miraculous power, Jesus would heal all the sick and a great invincible army of Israelites would drive the Romans out of Israel and the sons of David would once again rule on the throne because this son of David would restore greatness to Judah. With such dreams and expectations, the words about rejection, suffering, death, and resurrection went in one ear and out the other. It's no wonder that they were devastated when Jesus' words came true and all of their dreams crashed to the ground around them and were buried along with Jesus. And don't you and I do the same thing? We have our expectations about how life is supposed to be, especially if we've decided to go in God's direction. We hear sermons and we read books that promise us health, wealth, and happiness if we will just put God first and follow Jesus. So we do our best to do that. And then something comes along and knocks us flat on our backs. We lose our job. We don't succeed in school or in, in our jobs or even in our social life. Someone we love gets sick or is killed in a wreck or on a battlefield half a world away. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to who have given up on God and on faith because life turned sour on them, making them feel forsaken and failed by God. Perhaps that's why Jesus himself never promised his disciples a rosy future in this life. He promised them that following him meant carrying a cross, denying oneself, and giving our lives for others. Someone has said that Jesus' invitation to us is this, come along with me and be willing to suffer for others. We can't hear Jesus' invitation because we've been sold a bill of goods that plugs our ears to, what, to where we can't hear what he's really trying to tell us. We don't hear because we're not paying attention. We aren't listening. We have our minds clouded by wrong expectations. The scripture also says that even though the disciples didn't understand, they were timid when it came to asking questions. Isn't that often another dynamic of a student-teacher relationship? We don't want to appear to be foolish or dumb to our teachers or our fellow students, and so we just sit there in our ignorance, keeping our mouths shut. The teacher probably assumes that we understand what we've been taught, and so no further explanation is necessary. We're timid and shy afraid to ask God questions. One place where we often experience this is in our prayer time. Some folks just give up on God and quit asking God for answers. They lose faith. Not wanting to appear foolish, we don't even turn to our fellow Christians to ask for help. 
We don't read any. We don't do any research. We don't turn to wise counselors. We think that there aren't any answers, and so we settle for a life of agnosticism, or else we retreat into the safe world of fundamentalism, where there are pat answers for everything. I am so thankful for those occasions during my life when I ran right into a brick wall, when I didn't understand, when life's experience raised serious questions that I had to struggle to find an answer for. I'm also grateful to those wise pastors, teachers, and counselors and friends who put up with all my questions and helped me arrive at some answers that I can live with some answers that have helped me maintain my faith, something that has helped me make sense out of this crazy world that we live in. We all need to be a little braver to risk being thought a fool or mentally challenged. We need to take the risk of asking God serious questions and asking others for their understanding and help. Those that I know who have the greatest faith today are those that used to have the most questions yesterday. How much better off the disciples would have been if one of them had just spoken up to Jesus and said, Lord, we don't understand what you're trying to say to us. Another reason that we don't hear the teacher often is that we are daydreamers. Our minds wander. Some of you are having your minds wander right now in the middle of this spellbinding sermon. Sometimes my mind wanders in the middle of my sermons and I sure hate it when that happens and I have to figure out what I just said. One of my favorite singers uh, is Neil Diamond and he talks about his childhood uh, growing up in Brooklyn in in a song that talks about this. He says, mama would come to school and as I'd sit there softly crying, the teacher would say, He's just not trying. He's got a good head if he'd apply it. But you know yourself, it's always somewhere else. I'd build me a castle with dragons and kings. And I'd ride off with them as I stood by my window and looked out on those Brooklyn roads. The disciples' minds wandered. Their minds were filled with dreams of glory And Jesus was talking about dying and rising. In the coming kingdom, they expected to be given huge chunks of land to rule. They wondered which one of them would get the biggest chunk of land. They knew it wasn't the right thing to be talking about, daydreaming about, but they were just so excited. Their reaction to Jesus when he inquired about their conversation on the road shows that they knew they were wrong to have been talking about these things. What were you all discussing on the road? And they all remained silent. Isn't that just how we students react when the teacher has caught us in doing something wrong? We all knew to keep our mouths shut, didn't we? The good news here is that even when we're daydreaming and even if we're discussing inappropriate things, God can use even that for his glory, and it can become a wonderful teaching moment. God can even use daydreams. 
I've wondered how many modern inventions are the, are the result of daydreams. Ben Franklin was dreaming during a th daydreaming during a thunderstorm. Mrs. Franklin told him to go fly a kite, and now we have electricity. It was the daydream about greatness that gave Jesus one of the best teaching moments of his ministry. Oh, you're talking about greatness. Well, let me tell you, if anybody wants to be great, here's what you do. You must be the least, the last, the servant. Then Jesus took a child up in his arms and said to him, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name is welcoming me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome just me, but the one who sent me. Jesus was telling them that our human reasoning has things upside down. God, God considers the least the greatest and the greatest the least. And no one is more important to God than a humble person like a child. If you think about the people that have made lasting impacts on our world, they're not the richest and the most famous. It's the humble that leave their mark. It's the Mother Teresas of the world, not the Pope. It's a humble George Washington who refused to be proclaimed America's king. And I have trouble remembering who the king was who was in England when we fought the War of Independence. But I remember George Washington's name. Who, who are those who have strived to be last? They're the ones that come first to our minds, and we give God thanks for their good examples. It was the man who died on the cross that changed human history, not Augustus Caesar or Julius Caesar. The first are the last to be remembered, and the last are the first ones we remember and the ones that God rewards with blessings. Students don't listen, they don't understand, and they're too timid to ask questions, and sometimes their minds wander. But the great teacher knew all of this, and so he was willing to repeat the lessons as he is today to us. He encourages a diligent study to find answers for our questions even using our daydreaming moments to teach us things. A word to the wise is sufficient. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Amen.